Welcome to MoneyWeb Now. Business news every morning. It's Wednesday, 21 December. I'm Simon Brown, coming at you loud and recorded from the MoneyWeb Global Headquarters in Johannesburg, South Africa. On the show today, we're going to be chatting with Narina Fisser from ETFSA. It was actually a mixed bag for ETFs, but some of them really held on. We get some trends from her. And then Sarah Rice from uh, Scanamo. HR trends, companies trying to get staff back into the office. Uh, Quiet quitting is a trend. What about the hybrid work from home and work from office environment? The show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. MoneyWeb now on the money. Also available on podcast. I'm chatting with uh, Narina Fissi. You, of course, find her ETFSA. Uh, Narina, appreciate the time as always. It, it, it's, it's been a, a year in the market. We'll focus on, on the ETF space. I, I want to preface this by saying, I mean, we're going to be looking at shorter term data. And the point is, years like 2022 come along and in time, I don't know, five years time, 10 years time, we, we'll almost forget about them because really investing and particularly ETFs is really about the long term. Absolutely. And, you know, even though we keep saying it, I still think that people find it hard when we are in the midst of such a volatile and uncertain year as 2022 was. Again, let's just remind ourselves this is certainly not the first time that it's Mm -hmm. happened, um, that that we find that we feel uncertain where to, how to. And and so I do think that people find it very difficult to deal with with the facts and the emotions simultaneously. And not surprising that people then feel quite punch drunk at the end of, let's say, maybe three years because that's pretty much what it's been for us hugely gyrating up and down and all over the place (laughs) yeah it it has been of course because of course 2020 we had the collapse 21 was the the massive run and and years like this i suppose really test us emotionally they also for me they kind of test my my strategy as well i mean i've got the Mm. the core in satellite and and one of the things i liked is that you know i i look at what's happened in in i don't know meta down 66 percent or or some of the others and i look at my portfolio and truthfully there's a warm feel in my heart because i'm not so bad off (laughs) <laughs> You're quite right, Simon. I think when we, especially when we talk um, ETFs that are representing baskets of shares or indices or groups of investments, we tend to find that our, our performance is not nearly as extreme as some of those. You mentioned the likes of a meta down 66%. But of course, we do find it on the positive side as well. Mm. And, and of course, we do have exchange traded products that actually give us exposure to, for example, single commodities. So I look at the, you know, the top performer for this year, for example, a single commodity. So you're going to find the same thing on the positive side as well, which sounds great. But if you balance that with a negative on the, on the downside, I'm on your side as well. You know, I prefer sort of the slow and steady, the somewhat more pedestrian, not quite so extreme on the positive side, but then certainly not as bad on the downside either. Yeah, I I I I missed all the single commodities. Although for the first time in my life, I I do hold some gold, uh, the the absolute new gold. But some of the other winners, I mean, two that really stand out to me, and these are old Satrix ones. The Satrix Raffi, which continues to to I was going to say confound me. I mean, it, it's doing what it says on the sticker. Raffi is research affiliate. Uh, what fundamental indexation? And then the Satrix Divi, the 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 sort of smarter beaters were smart this year, and, and kudos to them. 
Yeah, absolutely. You're quite right in picking out those two. Of course, they are representative of the value investment style, which is something that we saw not just in South Africa, but globally perform very well during 2022. So I can add another few to that Mm -hmm. list that you've given. And because what's interesting, these are all value ETFs, but they, but they measure and represent value in different ways. Top of the pile, actually, there was the new funds value equity ETF up 19% for the year. We've got the core shares dividend aristocrats. you know, you mentioned the Satrix mm-hmm. Divi. Both of these invest in dividends as a theme, but in different ways. The dividend aristocrats from Core Shares, that's what we call dividend growers. These are companies that year after year after year give you more dividends than the previous year. Whereas the Divi Plus, of course, focuses on dividend payers, the ones that's going to give you the highest dividends over any period in time, but with more volatility. But there's also the new funds Givi Top 50, another one, Global in- Intrinsic Value Index. You know, so the the value style definitely was the outperformer, and globally, these South African ETFs have been star performers during a very, very difficult year, 2022. It, it has been different, and, and I remember right at the beginning of the year, a lot of talk around around value uh, over growth. I mean, mm. yeah, these are again almost going to be, I, I suppose. I mean, I, I, my my nephew owns the Raffian, as you well know. I've been buying him ETFs now. He's 14, so for 14 years, mm. um, and, and somehow he got the Raffian. And, and it's it, it's done quite it's done very well for him over the period that that that, mm. he, that he's held it. These more niche ones, I mean, as, 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 they have a place in a portfolio. Do they have a place in a core of a portfolio, or is that really perhaps a I don't know almost too too niche? So for me, the dividend strategies do represent something which is a, which is a good core of the portfolio. I think for the simple reason that it's easy to understand why an an above average income distribution from a portfolio really is so supportive of total return. If we think total return is sort of the price gain that you get plus whatever distribution. Mm-hmm. Be they dividends or interest. So for me, the dividend strategies really represent a very good part of a core portfolio. Value more broadly measured, you mentioned research affiliates, fundamental indexation, the Satrix Raffi, or I spoke about the Givisa or this new funds value. These do tend to be a bit more niche. And yes, they certainly follow more of a of a, a cyclical thing like growth over value. And of course, growth, much more represented by your high momentum tech stocks and mm-hmm. so on. So so these for me are more cyclical and and so one must be careful not to that's the classic trap of buying after good performance has come in and then selling after they've been on the lowdown so when it comes to these smarter beta factor sort of base strategies i think you really need to know what you're doing and be very careful not to buy them on the basis of recent past performance. But the dividend strategies, well, that's yeah. one that I really do see as part of a core, core portfolio holding. Now, take your point. And, and, and I, I'm lazy, so when I want to look at cash flow, dividends is like the easiest yeah. way to get that sense of it. The, the other side of the coin, of course, is a <laughs> lot of red this year. Um, I said yeah. a moment ago, it could be worse. You could be holding Meta or, or frankly, even <laughs> Amazon and the like. But this red list is dominated by tech uh, and uh, uh, some property. But uh, and actually, surprisingly, some emerging market. Although I suspect that is, mm. is China. Um, but uh, a, a bit of a horror year there. Indeed. So yes, tech, I think no surprise. And I think it is the combination of it probably started the year at some of the most overvalued Mm. levels. So it certainly was on these really large mega cap US stocks, the technology stocks that we saw the massive overvaluation. Of course, as interest rates rise, remember these these growth stocks, these ones that you're only expecting sort of strong cash flows further in the future. 
in a, in a classic valuation model, you would be discounting those future cash flows back to the present value using interest rates, yeah. discount rates. So as these interest rates rise, so the value, the present value of those future cash flows suddenly don't look nearly as attractive as they did during the last 10, 20 years of excessively low interest rates. So, yes, absolutely bottom of the pile, those tech companies, we, we sort of are very aware of the metas and, and even the Apples and the Microsofts and so on of this world. Um, but with the NASDAQ probably being a key measure of that. But let's not forget China tech. Né? It was yeah. the Chinese tech companies where the regulatory crackdown was really just a double whammy for tech stocks. So even worse off than, than the Satrix NASDAQ was the Signia Itrix Fourth Industrial Revolution um, ETF. And I think what we're dealing with here is things that are these mega trends, these long-term trends, the use of technology, absolutely great long-term investments. But in the short term, they could look quite horrible. And I think there you really need to um, make sure that your time horizon of your investment is al aligned with the time horizon over which this type of strategy is expected to pay off. Yeah, because as we mentioned a moment ago, think 2022s are going to come along. Hopefully pandemics we don't ever have again, but bad mm -hmm. years do happen. A, a last question, a, a phrase that you've been using, octopus on rollerblades, um, <laughs> the, the ones that kind of went nowhere. And I know that an ETF that does nothing is not great or anything that does nothing is not great. But truthfully, I mean, if you scrape out the end of the year, you know, half a point in the green, I, I don't know, pat yourself in the back. <laughs> so, so this is a phrase coined by my good friend Anne Wilson, the wealth chief, ah, and, yes. and I love the picture of an octopus on rollerblades <laughs> because it's not so much just that, you know, start to end, it shows that you haven't done anything. I think it is the massive gyrations in between, mm. which makes it hard for people to believe that some of these, and I look at something like, for example, that the Satrix Indie. You know, if I told you that the Satrix is in the base is basically back where we started the year, but it, it belies the fact that we saw some 25, 35% gyrations during the year, of course, driven in large part by the likes of Nasdaq and Process. It's not the only thing. They used to be by far the dominant um, weights in that indie index. It's no longer the case. Richmond, British American Tobacco and so on are much bigger weights in that. But certainly earlier in the year, we know what massive moves we saw in the likes of Nasdaq and Process. Um, and I think when you experience this intra period volatility and you look at the start to end and it shows that nothing's happened, it, it doesn't feel right. And I think it talks also to this point of living through the day-to-day -day volatility is a very dangerous thing because the emotion just causes you to go all over the place. But over the longer term, the picture is different. Um, the other one that in, falls into this camp for me actually is, is, is mostly sort of Europe and UK related. Yeah. You know, I look at the currencies, the new wave euro ETN, the new wave pound sterling ETN. Same story there. You know, we saw the, um, those currencies move up and down around 15% during the year, but they're basically back to where we started the year. And with that, of course, then also the Signia Itrix FTSE 100 ETF, the UK investment. I mean, we know that the UK was probably as volatile as many of our emerging markets over this year, but largely unchanged on the year. So, yeah, useful sometimes to look at the sort of this middle bunch that looks like nothing happened, but actually it belies the massive volatility that we saw during the year. I hadn't actually looked at the ND. It was, what, down 24% in May? Yeah, at one stage, indeed. And indeed. it's now flat. And then it was up. And, and, and now we're just back to where we started. And the lesson, <laughs> as a as a as a long term investor, is don't look at these things from day to day. I suspect. Absolutely. I mean, you know, focus Absolutely. on that long term. We'll leave it there. Nurina Fisser, ETFSA. Appreciate the time today. Appreciate the time over the course of the year. 
There's no postponing the inevitable. Your money knew this day would come. And you know what? It can hardly wait to start giving some back to you. When you invest in Stanlib's fixed income funds, you can retire earning a regular income off your investments. Invest for more certainty at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib is an authorized financial services provider and a registered manager. MoneyWeb now on the money. Also available on podcast. I'm chatting with Sarah Rice. Uh, she's Chief People Officer at uh, Scanemo. Uh, Sarah, appreciate the time. The, the, the 2022, I mean, lots has happened. I look at markets, I look out at geopolitics. One of the key things, though, has been in the HR, Human Resources, Chief People Officers, as, as you have in your title. Um, work from home. Are, are, are companies getting staff back into the office? Do companies want staff uh, back in the office? Or are we kind of finding a hybrid solution? So... Uh, for me, the genie is out of the bottle, and mm. I think that everyone who's experienced work from home is going to find it really, really hard to come back full time. I mean, even me, right? I think companies need to figure out how to manage a hybrid model if they're going to be able to keep their people happy. And that comes down to trying to figure out what work can be done from home and what work can be done from the office. And a lot of the ways that companies are thinking about it, they're thinking about it as roles. Like, can this kind of job be done at home or can Mm. this kind of job be done at the office? And an easier way to think about it is which tasks can be done at home or at the office. So in my job, if 20% of my work can be done comfortably from home, then maybe one day a week is something I can work from home. So it's complicated and it takes a lot more energy to figure out. But I think that's where companies are going to, where HR people are going to have to start moving towards and thinking about in order to accommodate this hybrid way of working. But I think it's hard to bring people back full time. But you make a great point there, which is it's it's individual or different individual job specific. I, I know one of the big banks here in Joburg. They were back two days a, a week. They said three staff pushed back, and 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 staff ultimately won. They're staying at two days. But rather than saying you know everyone across a workforce, it is going to be different people in different positions who 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 will have different numbers of days. You might be one day. Someone else in your team might be two days at home. I think the big loss is a sense of cohesion and team. Yeah. So how do human beings integrate and work together? So I'm not a personal fan of 100% remote. I, uh, my personality means I don't work very well in that environment. And I think people will just start to make choices about what they personally need to be successful and effective and um, figure it out that way as well. Because it's not just the, the business. It's also us as humans. Like what do we need to be to be excellent, and I need at least four days in the office to be good at my work. Yeah, I always say, when, when I worked in the corporate world, when I left, the one thing I missed was the water cooler. In that case, it was in, in the queue to buy coffee. It, it was it was the, the, the chats, not even about work, just, just friendship and, and, and people. Digital nomads, I mean, this was a, a concept that, that existed before the pandemic. But I think, much as to your earlier phrase, a, a genie out the bottle where there are, I'm thinking someone who's, who's perhaps a, a, a creative or, or perhaps a coder or something like that, mm-hmm. which really we're now in a space where I mean you, you can almost live anywhere as long as you deliver on, on your requirements and again jobs job specific though. Yes a very job specific and very culture specific of the organization yeah I think a digital nomad employee definitely won't work for, for Skynamo 
but there are a lot of organizations where it can work. And I think it enables you to really support your team live the lives that they, they want to live, which is wonderful. Yeah, and I, I like that point where, where it, it might not be a permanent thing. It might just be a, a six-week period or something. But you mentioned the actual mm. space there. I mean, how much is it, you know, the, the actual physical office changing? You know, offices used to be, and again, I think of my days in the corporate world. I mean, it was kind of cram us in, right? It, almost a sense of how many can mm. you get in. And there would be this sort of token pot plant here and there to try and make it feel a bit better. How much does that have to change as well? Just to, I suppose, one, entice the people back, but also just to make the office space more than just a place where we sit down with our with our computer. You raise such a good point because offices are no longer the expectation. So we've got to create environments where people really want to come in. And that, I think, has a lot to do with space and layout and making sure people don't feel like they're living in a cubicle farm. Mm. And it's also around thinking about what is in-office activity and what is work-from-home or remote activity. So for our in-office days, we really um, encourage people to do all their team meetings and to do those meetings in person so that they're getting, it's not like um, you come into the office and you sit on eight hours of Zoom or Teams calls, that you actually are interacting with people. And we've, um, we've created uh, places where people can connect. So we've got a pool table up in our Joburg office. We've got puzzles by our coffee station in Cape Town. So where we have moments where people can really find each other and connect beyond beyond just the work conversation or the kind of like how we're getting the work done conversation. And yeah, so that's, you know, offices are a way of expressing the culture of your business. Yeah, They're not just workspaces. And I think it's important for us to think about what are we expressing and are we expressing stuff that is attractive to the people who, who work with us? Like, do, are we creating spaces for people like, yeah, I love coming into the office. This is what I want. And we can be creative. Yeah, and this is what the big tech companies have been doing. Yeah, I'm thinking the Apples and the Googles forever in the day. A, a last question. Quite quitting, quite resignation was a big theme across the year. You know, business is slow and all sure. systems take a long time to change. So we haven't quite caught up yet. And what we are finding um, so quite quitting for me is a new name for a very old concept, which is employee disengagement. So people mm. are disengaging from the work because it's not meaningful to them. And the question is, it's beyond money. Like money is important. Sure. It's really important, obviously, but it's a hygiene factor. Like you've got to get it right. But then it's around how do we create spaces and how do we create work that feels important and gives people a sense of personal purpose and a sense of uh, their identity. And this is going to escalate as our Gen Z start coming into the workforce. The millennials gave us a hint of it, um, <laughs> and the Gen Zs are going to are going to yeah double down on meaning. So this is the time I think for us all to figure it out. And thank goodness the millennials are now becoming our managers, and they have a much better sensitivity to it. I'm part of the Gen X generation, so I'm still I still have to work quite hard to completely get it. But yeah, it's a it's an interesting challenge. I'm quite excited for it actually. I think yeah. Um, yeah, finding meaning is going to be an interesting part of the next the next phase of the business journey. Yeah, and I think it's going to be it's, it's it's good for business. I think it's going to be great for people. But I, I like your point there that at least the generation moving into management to sort of slightly understand it. I, I, I'm in your camp. Um, I, it, it, to me, it scratches my head a bit. But we'll leave it there. That's Sarah Rice. She is a chief people officer at Sky. And Sarah, really appreciate the time today. Thank you so much. Thanks for the opportunity. Your money gives a damn. 
If it could protest and sign petitions, your money would. But your money can do more than that. When you invest in Stanlib's Infrastructure Investment Fund, beyond getting solid returns, you are helping to build a more sustainable future through job creation and positive economic growth. Damn right you are. Invest for more impact at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. MoneyWeb now on The Money. Also available on podcast. That's it for today. The show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. We're live, recorded this week, every weekday morning, the MoneyWeb website and app, 6.30 a.m. podcast, just after 7. Thanks to my team, Eddie, Nobokle, Nicole, to you for listening, my guests for their time. My name is Simon Brown. This is MoneyWeb Now. We'll chat again tomorrow, how to run a filter to find winning stocks. Listen to the live stream of MoneyWeb Now at the same time every weekday. For more business, finance and investment news. MoneyWeb Now on the money. Also available on podcast.